Okay, hello. It's good to be here. Um, so for those of you who don't know, I'm Suzanne. I grew up in Totnes um, and I've been a part of this church for a long time. Um, but for the last 10 years I've been in Guatemala, so that's my place there. So you've got leaflets on the seats if you want to read a bit more later. Um, over here there's also um, fridge magnets if you want to see my face every day. Um, <laughs> you can take one of those. <laughs> um, so uh, I've learnt that when I'm talking about Guatemala I need to start off with a map because not everybody knows where it is. Um, so there we go. So just a bit blurry. <laughs> Um, but south of Mexico, between uh, Mexico and Honduras and El Salvador, um, that's Guatemala. And uh, Guatemala, the country is about the same size as England, uh, but with much less uh, population. And um, I've been in, a, this year I'm in a bit of a transition, if you can go to the next one. Um, I have been doing these five different roles here on the left. Um, so I've been the short-term coordinator, that's been my main role over the last 10 years, that's looking after um, people who come out on a short-term basis, up to two years, uh, to serve in different uh, projects, as well as sending people from Guatemala. Um, and I've been involved in a number of other things. Um, but this year I'm sort of transitioning down from five different things down to two, uh, which is really good news for me. <laughs> um, and uh, the last time I was here, actually, I talked about uh, mission mobilisation, and uh, I was just beginning to, to look at how to work in mission mobilisation in Guatemala. Um, and you might remember it was a bit of a depressing preach because it was actually quite frustrating and difficult to get started in that. Um, and it's, So thank you for your prayers because it, um, things have changed um, a fair bit in the last two years. Um, and there's lots of new, new doors opening uh, for that to happen and other people with a, who share that type of vision as well. So I'm really encouraged that, by that. And I'm really excited to go back. I go back in August, and so I'll be focusing much more on mission mobilisation in Guatemala, as well as um, our, our core team in Latinx, it's sort of an international leadership team, and I'll be focusing a bit on mobilisation and development with them as well. Um, so what does mission mobilisation mean? Well, mobilisation in anything is sort of enabling that thing to happen. Uh, so for me in Guatemala... Um, that involves training pastors um, and churches so that they can catch a vision, catch God's vision for the, for the global church and for mission and get involved in some way, whether that's praying or sending or supporting or going themselves. Um, so I meet a lot of people in Guatemala, um, perhaps not a lot, but I meet a fair few people in Guatemala who tell me that they feel called to missions, that, that God has put something on their hearts to go... Uh, abroad go elsewhere and share his love but their church doesn't really know what to do with that their pastor doesn't understand what that means uh, so they end up carrying on serving in Sunday school which is a great thing to do in itself um, but the, the church and the pastors don't usually understand what they're supposed to do to support somebody who feels called to mission um, so one of the things I've, uh, I did one course last year and hoping to do uh, several more in the future is training pastors. So uh, we've got this little booklet which is a kind of seven Bible studies about God's world and what he's doing in it and how we can um, get involved in that and how the church can be involved. Um, so that's the mobilisation bit but then you might think well what's missions to start with? <laughs> can anyone tell me... Um, uh, a quick quiz. Anyone tell me where the first place in the Bible where it mentions missions? Abraham. Abraham. Good guess. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? 
listen at you. It's all good guess. Anything else? The first time it mentions mission. To, to, to share the message. Or... Trick question. The word mission is not in the Bible at all. <laughs> so sorry about that. So yeah, mission or missionary is not mentioned in the Bible at all. Um, and yet the concept is that the main thread, the main theme of the Bible throughout the whole story, and that mission simply means to be sent. It's, it's you know, you're on a mission to do something. You've got a, an assignment. Um, so it's being sent to do that. Um, and that's the story of the whole Bible. It's God's story of him pursuing us with his love in a kind of wooing, courting kind of pursuit, not a cops and robbers type pursuit. Um, but his, his, it's his story of him pursuing us with his love and then involving us in that pursuit of others with his love as well. And that's what God's mission is. It's sending out his love and we can all get involved in what he's doing. Um, and another way um, that God is doing that is actually through migration. Um, for a long time, the church has thought that mission is a very kind of one-dimensional thing. A, a church, generally in the West, sends a missionary who maybe have some training and some preparation to do a specific work in another country sharing the gospel. But in the last 30 or 40 years, um, there's been a huge huge variety of different ways in which we've seen God using lots of other ways to complete his mission. And all of that has become a bit more visible in the last um, 30 or 40 years. So migration is, has been on our news here, um, a kind of political agenda over the last few years, but really that's only been the most recent expression of people who are on the move on a global scale. And that always opens up opportunities for the gospel. And one way, uh, which may be obvious for us in the UK, is people from countries where there is very little chance of them hearing good news about Jesus, they come to a country where they can hear that. Um, and so there's a huge opportunities, um, particularly in the UK, uh, to reach out to those who are migrating here. But another way is when Christians move to another country, for all sorts of different reasons, um, and they carry God's love with them. So one way we're trying to tap into that in Guatemala is through young Christians who move abroad to study. If we can look at the next slide. This is Lisbeth. So she's Guatemalan and she's at the moment in Russia studying. I'm hoping to go and visit her in August. If you could pray for my visa comes through. <laughs> um, so she, um, she's studying Russian at the moment in order to study medicine in Russian from September. Um, but she goes out there with the idea that actually she can share God's love with the other international students that she's living with and, and studying with. Um, and there's lots of other ways in which I'll be investigating in the next few years in Guatemala and for Latinx as a whole about actually what are the other ways that God is using to move people and how can we be a part of that and see God's love being shared in lots of different ways. Um, so that's a bit of an update of what I'm doing. Um, and as I said, you can read a bit more on the leaflet. But all of that is, is a recognition that we are all missionaries. Although we can you know, get rid of the word, it's got a bit of a bad press, 
lately anyway, and it's not in the Bible. Um, but we're all sent by God to share his love with others, to, to live his love for others. Um, so if we've experienced God uh, for ourselves, then we're sent to share it as well. And actually, I could, from now on, what, all of our, what I'm going to say has already been said <laughs> by Pauline and the different words that we've had and, and the worship songs. Um, but I want to share a story about um, the church in Spain and a friend of mine in Guatemala, who's uh, a mobiliser of lots of missions all over globally, and he visited, um, so I'm stealing his story, but he visited um, the, a church amongst the gypsy population in Spain. So amongst the gypsy, a gypsy ethnic group in Spain, there's quite a thriving church that's grown very fast um, recently. And the story of how it got started is really interesting. And it, the story goes that there was a French pastor uh, on holiday in Spain who was sitting around in a park somewhere and uh, a gypsy woman came up to him and said, uh, can I tell you your, your future? And she was going to uh, read his palm. And he said, no, but I'll tell you yours. And she was so taken aback that, um, that she then listened as he, he told her the gospel and how God loved her. And, uh, and uh, so she, he explained a bit more, bit more about that. And she became a Christian then. And at that point, she said, well, my husband's over the other side of the park. Stay here. I'm going to go and get him so he can hear it as well. So she runs off, brings back her husband. And uh, so the French pastor then tells him the gospel as well. And he decides to follow Christ too. So he becomes a Christian. So then the pair of them then say to this French pastor, well, you must come to our, our end of town where all our friends are. You must come and tell them about, uh, about this Jesus. And he says, no. He says... You know, I don't know whether it was the end of his holiday or he had some other, other commitment, but he said he couldn't go. But he said, but I don't need to go because you two now carry Jesus with you. And so he explained to them that actually they were now missionaries. They were, could be sent uh, to be missionaries to the, the people in their, their neighbours, their family and the people in their town. Um, so at that point, they accepted that and they knelt down and he laid hands on them and prayed for them and commissioned them as missionaries. So this is five minutes after they've become Christians. And he commissioned them as missionaries to their, to their families and their, their, their part of town. And um, one, of the, one of the aspects of the growth of the church amongst gypsies is that every time somebody becomes a Christian, the very next thing they do is be commissioned as missionaries. To their family. And I think this is amazing. I think this is a real understanding of what it means to receive God's good news. Because it's not just for us. Um, because it is so good news that it needs to be shared and it can, needs to be a blessing to other people. So there's no qualifications, there's no training. It's just once you've experienced God's love, we're sent to share it. Uh, through our lives, through our words, uh, just through our, how we live our lives. So it's not about knowing all the answers or about having flashy ways of communicating it. It's simply about living out of what God has done in your life. And for most of those uh, gypsy Christians, very few of them were actually kind of sent to another place that they weren't already, that all of them, or the vast majority, would have stayed in the, their lifestyle, stayed in the, 
neighbourhood where they were, but they were commissioned as missionaries there. Um, and I think sometimes, for us, maybe if we've been Christians for a long time, sometimes the idea we're supposed to share our faith and tell people the gospel, it can feel like a bit of a burden. And it can feel like... Um, it's an extra thing on top of our busy lives and kids and work and uh, church rotors, whatever else. It feels like an, an extra thing and a burden. And it was never supposed to be that and it shouldn't be that. And um, so this morning I want to, us to read a bit about actually how Jesus did it. Because um, he managed to do it without it feeling like um, a heavy thing. Um, so we're going to read from Luke 6. So Luke 6, verses 12 to 19. One day, soon afterwards, Jesus went up on the mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose twelve from them to be apostles. Here are their names. Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who is called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. When they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus on a large, level area, surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. There were people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and from as far north as the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases and those troubled by evil spirits were healed. Everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out from him and he healed everyone. Um, a few years ago, Henry Newen uh, wrote an article about this passage and um, basically I'm stealing what he said. Um, you can tell I'm writing a thesis at the moment because I have to tell you who I'm taking these things from rather than plagiarism, right? <laughs> um, but in this passage we see a process, um, if we go to the next slide, of solitude, then community, and then ministry. And when I say ministry, I don't want you to think of you know, a particular activity at church. I simply mean the unique way in which God wants to use you. He wants you to share and be good news to the people around you. So it's not a church thing. It's, it's simply the unique way God has designed you to show off his love for others. Um, so that might be about your interaction with your neighbours. Uh, for many of us, it's about actually the role we play in our workplace as well. Um, and it's just the kind of everyday being a Christian, really. So that's what I mean by ministry. But for Jesus, this ministry wasn't something, wasn't like a separate activity that he did. It was just a natural expression of who he was. And it says uh, um, here in verse 19, power went out from him. It wasn't like he decided, I'm going to use my power for this person. It's simply that power just went out of him. It was kind of a natural expression of who he was. Um, and so it's, it's not something, 
it wasn't a separate time in which he was ministering. It seemed to be simply what happened whilst he was living his life. Um, and Jesus also said that we were doing greater things than, than him. So I believe that actually for each of us, each of us has a ministry, this unique way in which God is going to use you and the gifts that he's given you. Um, and that's not something, not primarily about an activity that we do. It's actually something more about what comes naturally to us in sharing God's love. Um, but that actually comes at the end of the process. But I just want you to kind of understand what I'm talking about when I say ministry. But first off, um, we see solitude. So in verse 12, it says, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray and he prayed to God all night. Um, so he spent time hearing God's voice. And back in Luke 3, verse 22, this is when Jesus was baptised. And it says that the Holy Spirit um, descended on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. In other uh, versions it says, You're my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. And I think, and, and Jesus heard that at the beginning of this, it, um, the time that he was ministering, and also towards the end of his life as well, uh, in the Transfiguration. It's a similar voice from heaven that says the same thing. And, um, and I would suggest that this message that he hears from God, his Father, was the loudest voice in his head throughout the whole time in which he was ministering. Because it's, it's there in this identity as being God's son that he found his sense of value and his uh, sense of identity. And there were lots of other voices shouting around him. There were some voices that were kind of positive. Uh, this guy's going to save, save us from the Romans, uh, positive about the, he, the things that he's done. Um, but those, some of those voices quick, quickly turned very negative when they were shouting out to crucify him. So all these external voices that he could have listened to but I think actually the main voice that was recurring in his head was this message from his father, that you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. You make me happy. And I think um, that we need that as well. It is the same for us. We sang the song, God is a good, good father and I am loved by you. That is our identity I am loved by God the Father. And we need times hearing that voice. And we need times when we concentrate on that message. You are my beloved son. You're my precious daughter. You make me happy. That's what God says of us. And I think there's no, there's no kind of rules about you've got to get up at five o'clock in the morning and, and pray for half an hour, whatever. There's no rules about the amount of time or when you've got to do it. Um, but I think it is about making a, an intentional uh, choice about listening to God's voice. Whether we do it when we're alone or uh, in the amongst a crowd of people, it's a sort of frame of mind, state of mind and heart that focuses on God's voice. And as I said, I don't think there's any rules about how long you have to do that for, but I do know that it needs to be enough so that that becomes, that message becomes the main soundtrack in our head and in our hearts. So that it drowns out the other voices, 
that might be negative or praising us just for a particular thing, uh, those, those things aren't where our identity lies. Our identity is in that voice of God that says, you're my son, you're my daughter, I love you and you make me happy. You bring me joy. That's where our identity lies. So how do we work that into our normal lives? How do we uh, focus that so that that becomes our main kind of soundtrack in our head? Because we always, we've all got lots of other voices that go on around us. Some of those voices also become our internal voices that are quite negative about who we are. And so sometimes it takes a bit of retuning so we listen to God's voice who says, you are my son, you are my daughter, you bring me great joy. That's who we are. And then after, after Jesus had been on the mountain to pray and spend time with God, he comes down and he chooses his disciples or chooses the apostles from a much bigger group of disciples. And so this is where he finds his community. He gathered together around him a group where, with whom he could be really known. Um, and there was a whole variety. This, this isn't like just the nice people who are a bit like me. <laughs> when you look at those disciples, there's a huge variety of, uh, of character and opinions I mean, there was uh, Simon, who was called the Zealot. That was essentially a freedom fighter. We might call him a terrorist today. Another one was a tax collector. It's the kind of sellout to the, to the oppressing army. You know, the opposites on the political spectrum of the day. And yet they were part of this little group. And in terms of personality as well, you know, there's people, people like Peter, who was kind of speak first, think later kind of guy. And then people like Thomas, who was much more cautious. And so there's a whole variety of people here. This isn't a group, little group of people who are all nice to each other and all the same. This is a, a huge variety. But it was where Jesus decided uh, to be friends with them, to be vulnerable, to be known by them. And community is somewhere where we learn how to love one another, in spite of all the differences and difficulties it's where we learn to forgive one another um, and where we make that conscious decision to commit to doing that, commit to love one another, even when we don't agree. It's where we learn and grow as people. And interestingly, in John 17, there's a very long passage where Jesus is, is praying for his disciples. And, um, and the main theme is unity. And I'm just going to read... John 17, verse 20. Uh, no. 21, sorry. Because um, this is, a, I think, is a key um, in his prayer for unity for his disciples. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are, are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. And those two very small words that says, so that. So he's praying for unity amongst the disciples, so that the world will believe you sent me. So there's a very clear connection between our ability to be community, to learn to love one another, 
and how others recognise and accept Jesus. That's a real challenge for us, seeing the church uh, in this country, in the world, which it can be very divided. Um, but actually, that's what Jesus, and maybe that's why it was such a, the main theme of Jesus' prayer, because he knew it was going to be difficult. But he does pray that we are one, that we can be, learn to love one another as community. And community isn't about hiding away the differences or sweeping things under the carpet. It's about learning to love and to welcome and to accept each other in the midst of differences and difficulties. Um, and it's this love, this learning to love, that is the key in our witness to others. So then we come back to, uh, to Luke. Um, so he's created his community around him. And then verse 17 it says, When they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus in a large level area surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. There were people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and from as far north as the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those troubled by evil spirits were healed. Everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out from him, and he healed everyone. Um, and when I read this, there's a very small comment, which I kind of thought was strange to be there. Um, it says, the disciples stood with Jesus. And I don't know about you, but if I was writing a biography, biography about somebody... You know, there'd be great things that they've done and all the rest of it, the big um, the key, um, key moments of their lives. But I'm not sure I would mention who was stood next to them. <laughs> and yet here it, it says, the disciples stood with Jesus. Um, so Luke obviously mentioned this because it's important. And at this stage, it's Jesus doing the ministry. It's Jesus doing the healing and touching people. The disciples hadn't yet... Uh, worked out that, hadn't yet got involved in that, but they stood with him. And I think when we see this kind of process for Jesus, the ministry didn't stand alone. The ministry actually flowed out of his experience of solitude with God, knowing who he was, and then it flowed out of him having a community around him who stood with him, and then he, um, he worked in ministry and I think it's the same for us too. When we find our identity and our value in solitude with God, then we work out how to live with other people, how to work, live, um, love and forgive. And then out of that, our individual ministry, that unique way in which God is going to use each one of us to be and share good news with others, that actually comes a bit more naturally than we think. <laughs> it actually just flows a bit. Um, and also, I think that one of the things here is that it's not, um, it's not about me trying to convince, being knowing what my ministry is, it's not about me trying to convince the community that they all should be doing my ministry as well. Um, and they should be doing it in the same places in the same way as I am. It's simply them standing with me. And actually, me being a missionary in Guatemala is a good... Uh, example of this you don't all have to be you don't all have to come you don't have to be uh, physically there in Guatemala 
but you are a part of what I'm doing there because you guys are standing with me. And in turn, it's me standing with others in their unique way of sharing and, uh, and being good news. So it's not about us all being the same uh, personality or all doing the same type of thing, but we do stand with one another in our witness. And there is a sense of empowering, uh, empowerment in that. Um, and of course, often there's ways in which one person's ministry, um, their unique way of being good news, contributes or overlaps with somebody else's ministry, their unique way of being good news as well. But it is this process that we find our identity in solitude with God, then work out how to love one another in community and, uh, and then minister to, to those around us. And sometimes I think we can get it, um, we can make it all a bit complicated. And when we think about evangelism or sharing faith with others, uh, we, can f- we can feel like it's complicated or it's difficult. Um, and I read a book recently, I meant to bring it this morning, but um, Mum's reading it at the moment. <laughs> I've got. It's a book called um, Love Does by a guy called Bob Goff. And the title kind of says it. Sometimes we get very, we think it's going to be complicated, but actually he says, love just does. It just does stuff, you know, and it's a practical thing. Um, so I'd recommend that book if you, if you want some ideas about, actually, what does love look like? Because um, sometimes we, we kind of overthink it, and actually it's just being good news. Uh, it's just uh, helping people out. It's just doing stuff. Um, I've lost my place. Okay, and, and the other thing is sometimes we get these stages muddled up. So we go to the next slide. So this is a bit of a recap. So in solitude with God, we find our identity and value. Then we learn to love one another in community. And in, then in ministry, we become good news to other people. But sometimes we, uh, we might try and do ministry, do some activity, in order to find some value for ourselves, or in order to find out who we are. Or we might look to a community to uh, praise us or give us value. Um, that actually wasn't Jesus' model. When we look in the wrong place or to the wrong people for our identity and value, Sooner or later, we're going to be disappointed or burnt out. That's the other thing. So when we do ministry out of our own strength and not uh, founded in our identity in God, uh, then it's just uh, us expending lots of energy um, and it, uh, we end up burnt out. So I want to encourage you this morning to this, have this process. It's not, it's not over a time scale. We can do this all at once, uh, but we do need to recognise... Uh, what place, where, in which, um, where do we find the things that we're looking for? So it's in solitude with God that we find identity and value. It's in community that we work out how to love each other. And then we become good news for those around us. Um, so as we get to the end then, how do we respond to that? And I think actually there could be lots of ways that you respond, but I think there could be three ways in each one of these things. In solitude, um, maybe you've never recognised uh, that God's voice of love 
over you. Maybe that's not the voice that is the loudest or the most frequent one that you listen to. Um, so, t- so today, why not decide to change that? You can talk to somebody about, actually, what can you do? It may be about making uh, time in your life uh, to focus on God's voice. But what can you do to uh, intentionally listen to God's voice of love over your life? So make a plan to take time in solitude with God. <coughs> in community, um, you might feel that you're not, you don't have a community, you don't have a small group where you can be known and you can be vulnerable with each other and learn to love. Um, and that can change today as well. This church has got um, uh, groups that meet together, mission communities in different areas, as well as a whole bunch of other groups, guys that run together, uh, all sorts of other groups that meet up. And part of that is, is helping us to be connected, uh, to learn to love one another. So if you're not in one of those, uh, but you want to experience more of that, talk to Aid or one of the other leaders this morning and, uh, and get connected. And then in the area of ministry, this unique way that God has designed you to be good news for others. Um, I want us to, to think about the story of the, the Gypsy Church and then commissioning each person, each new Christian, to be a missionary where they are. Um, And maybe there's a a particular aspect of your life, a particular group of friends or a particular work situation, where you've never thought, actually God's got me there for a reason, and I'm supposed to be sharing God's love there. And it doesn't have to be in words. Depending on your work situation, you know, in in this country it can be difficult. But it... It is about us being good news for people. So it might be that you've never thought, there's a particular aspect of your life that you've never really thought of in those terms. And so I want us to have time this morning where you could just ask the person next to you, can you lay hands on me and pray and commission me as a missionary in that situation or in that group of friends? Um, Because each one of us is sent by God um, to share his good news, to be his good news, to be uh, love for the people around us. Um, So I'm going to stop there. And uh, so I want us to have a bit of time when we can respond in that way. So you can talk to the people next to to you, think about uh, whether it's making a plan to spend more time in solitude with God, whether it's a plan to get more connected in community, or uh, to be commissioned into your your unique ministry. And, And pray for one another wherever you are. Um, And I'm sure there'll be uh, people up here at the front who can um, pray for you as well.